today, and we especially want to welcome uh, Great Point at Northwood. They're joining our services today. We're glad that you're with us. Thanks for being with us here at Grace. As you heard last day for shoe boxes, and if you forgot to bring them, Luke was telling us that you can get that here before four o'clock today. It still works. So if you left it at home, you still have a chance. And then also, if there's some men available between three and seven tomorrow, I know that Lynette could, could use some help as they load the truck, as we're a regional center. So uh, boxes come in, that they're crated up and loaded onto a truck trailer. So if you can help with that three to seven tomorrow, we'd be glad to have you. We've been in a series called Epic, and Epic, we've been going through the entire Old Testament in a way so that we can understand how it links to the New Testament, which we will kind of cons uh, continue with Epic Christmas. But if you remember, we started with creation and Adam and Eve and the fall, and then we talked about uh, Noah and how God's judgment came down on the earth, and then how the focus of the Old Testament narrowed down to one man, one family, and that was Abraham. And, and remember, Abraham was even willing to, to sacrifice his own son. Of course, God did not require that, but uh, he was God's man, and from him, the whole world would be blessed. And then after Abraham, we talked about Joseph, and then Joseph, how he ended up in Egypt and, and became second in command, ended up inviting his father Jacob and the family clan down there where they ended up in slavery for 400 years. And then God raised up a man named Moses. And then Moses came and led them out into the wilderness. And Moses received the law of God. They were in the wilderness 40 years as, as they were disobedient and not ready to conquer the land. For 40 years, God dealt with them. And then Joshua, Moses' assistant, he led the conquest of the land as they crossed the Jordan and went into Israel. And then last week, Zach talked about David, which was uh, one of the kings of Israel, Saul, the first king. And then David, uh, maybe the greatest king, although David had a son named Solomon who became the next king, but that's a story in itself. If you'll remember last, last time, Zach mentioned that David's oldest son, Amnon, had actually uh, committed rape against his half-sister, and he was killed by another half-brother uh, named Absalom. Absalom fled, but then came back, but David wouldn't see him. In the meantime, Absalom built up favor with the people in Jerusalem and eventually led a revolt that David barely escapes with his life. But the long, long story short is that David was able to overcome. Absalom is killed in a battle by David's trusted commander named Joab. Later in David's reign, when he becomes old and weak, he's basically on his deathbed, another son, the son uh, that, that was next in line as far as age goes, was Adonijah. And Adonijah, he basically gets everybody and he starts having a pre-inaugural party in Jerusalem because he knows David, his father, is about to die. So they're celebrating. He invites Joab, David's commander. He invites the leading officials of Israel. He invites some priests, but he does not invite Solomon. He does not 
uh, invite some other key people like uh, Benaniah or any of the other of David's 30 mighty men. He doesn't invite any of those, just Joab. And so that's all happening. As that is happening, Bathsheba, one of David's wives, we've talked about before, she comes to tell David that this is happening, that Adonijah is basically declaring himself as king. And then Nathan the prophet, the same prophet who confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba, he comes to David to also tell him the same thing. And when David hears this, he realizes that they're trying to circumvent his intention of making Solomon king, not Adonijah. So he issues some quick instructions from his deathbed. He assembles Nathan. He calls Zadok the priest. And he calls his second most trusted man, his bodyguard, Benaiah, to take Solomon down and have him anointed as king of Israel. In the meantime, at Adonijah's party, they're having a great time, but then they hear this commotion in the city, this commotion in Jerusalem, and they can't figure out what's going on, but they soon discover that the whole city is rejoicing because now Solomon has been publicly anointed as the king of Israel. And that party dies pretty fast. People who just kind of slink away, and Adonijah is kind of left there by himself. And then David begins his rule. Uh, I'm sorry, Solomon begins his rule, but he gets instructions from David on his deathbed, basically how to consolidate that rule. And he follows those instructions. And, uh, and some of that is taking care of Joab. Ben- Benaiah does that for Solomon. And, he, and, and then his rule is secure. And so Solomon rules, and David's son Solomon rules very effectively. But we're going to find out that Solomon's son, who's named Rehoboam, when he takes over, it doesn't go so well. Toward the end of, when, when Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam takes over. But uh, when he does that, and we're going to get back to Solomon in a minute, but just want to contrast this. When Rehoboam takes over, all the, all the people of Israel come to meet for the inaugural of Rehoboam's reign. And as the people come together, they meet with Rehoboam and they say, hey, King Rehoboam, we're excited about you taking over, we're all behind you, but... We have been oppressed under this hard rule of Solomon, basically with all the taxes and the forced labor, because Solomon was a builder and all these things, and they're saying, we're asking that you lighten this load for us. It's been a lot of years. Will you lighten the load? And Adonijah, I'm sorry, Rehoboam says, come back in three days, and I'll give you my answer. He consults with Solomon's advisors, and they say, do it, Rehoboam. Lighten up the load a little bit, and these people will follow you forever. You'll be a strong king. You know, do this. Do what they're asking to do. But then during those three days, he also meets with the young men that he grew up with, sort of his buddies in court, and they give him different advice. They say, you tell those people that if you think Solomon was bad, hey, you're going to be way worse, and they're going to have to knuckle under and get it right, or you're going to stomp them out kind of a deal. And Rehoboam takes his friend's advice rather than his father Solomon's advisor's advice. And because of that, from that day forward, 
the kingdom of Israel is now divided into two kingdoms. Judah is the kingdom that follows David's line through King Rehoboam. And there are ten tribes that rebel against that. They make a guy with a similar name, Jeroboam king, and they follow him. And you're wondering, well, that only is 11. Well, there's the tribe of Benjamin that's kind of split in both sides. Most of them are with Judah, but their land is in both places. And basically, it's wherever the people are living, that's where they're, they're following their king. So that, and so in the first week of his reign, Rehoboam... Solomon's son loses 10 of the tribes of Israel, most of his kingdom gone. That's how fast it happens. Now, when David was giving instructions to Solomon as he was dying and Solomon was taking over and telling Solomon how he needs to take care of everything to solidify his kingdom, there was one major point of unfinished business And that was David's desire to build the temple of God, the temple in Jerusalem. And God had told David that he was a man of war, so he couldn't build it, but he collected all the materials, and he was all ready, but he knew that that was something that Solomon had to do. So Solomon, in his reign, sets about this huge task of building the first temple, the temple to God, on Mount Moriah, which is the same mountain where Abraham offered up Isaac, but God didn't make him do it. Same place. This is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And Solomon builds that. When it's completed, then the big task is to get the Ark of the Covenant, which signifies the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant, just like Raiders of the Ost Ark, that was built after after Moses received the law when they were in the wilderness, they built the ark, and then they also had the tent tabernacle to house the ark, and the glory of God showed the people through the way all the 40 years during their wilderness. So now they've been in Israel for some time. They had judges. They had Saul, David, now Solomon. Solomon completes the temple, and they bring the ark into the holy of holies in the temple, and when they do that, God shows up and God the glory of God it says fills the temple and that's the first temple that stands on the very temple mount that we talk about today where the Islamic dome of the rock stands and why there's all that contention in Israel now first temple built by Solomon Now, when Solomon takes over, God basically asks him, what can I give you? It's kind of like the genie showing up with three wishes, you know, what are your wishes? What can I do for you without, well, I'll take 20 more wishes. It's like, hey, there's some rules, but it's like, hey, what can I do for you? And Solomon, who's about 20 years old at the time, He has an amazing response to that. He asked for something, and that's what made his reign so effective, is that God gave him an amazing gift. And the question is, what would you ask for? If God said, hey, I'm going to give you a gift, what should I give you? What will you ask for? What would you ask for? Probably different people. It would be different things. 
But here's how it went with Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, accordingly, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne, and it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go in, go out, or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statues and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Well, that's exactly what God did for Solomon. Solomon ends up the... the the most wealthy king. He, he had the, maybe the strongest borders. He, he experienced peace uh, most of his days uh, uh, when compared to like his father David. He had wealth. He was so rich in Jerusalem that during Solomon's reign, silver is devalued because gold becomes the standard. He has honor in that surrounding Leaders of nations would come, travel to Jerusalem to sit at Solomon's feet and hear his wisdom. And then when they left, they said, it was better, it was even better than it was reported to me to be there. Women, he had those two. 700 wives, 300 concubines, which becomes a snare to him and a problem later, as it always does in Scripture. You know, people say, well, in the Scripture, people have multiple wives. Yeah, have you read the Bible? Every time that happens, it's problems. One man for one woman. But anyway, so, you know, that whole thing. God gives him, you know, wisdom. Why, you know, why do people come from around the world? Because God gave him wisdom. Wisdom. Defining wisdom may be as simple as this, and there's a lot of definitions, so I don't mean to have the last word on this. 
is just seeing life from God's perspective. Wisdom may, may could just be boiled down, seeing life or seeing things from God's perspective. And wisdom and knowledge are connected, but in Scripture, they're also distinct. A lot of times, it says wisdom and knowledge. They're connected in that way, but they're two different things to some extent. Knowledge accumulates information. Wisdom correctly applies that information. You know, you could know, you can have knowledge on how to shoot a gun, but wisdom is whether you use it or not. I mean, it's knowledge and wisdom. They're linked, but they're two separate things. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom applies and obeys the Ten Commandments. Knowledge learns from God. Wisdom loves God. And we need wisdom today. I don't think there's ever been a a group of people that need wisdom as much as we need wisdom. Because maybe as a people, even as God's people, if you fall into that category today, we have more choices than ever before. And the thing about wisdom, it's not just knowing right and wrong, it's making the best decision when it's not necessarily about right and wrong. Some people would say it this way, that if there's a direct rule from God, then knowledge is knowing that, and wisdom is applying it, just following God. But I think true wisdom really kicks in when there is no direct rule from God. What about when God's not exactly telling us what to do? That's the situations that many of us find ourselves in today, and that's what requires wisdom. Making the right decision when there is no rule. I'll give you an example. It comes up all the time. Somebody will come in, and, and they'll meet with a pastor here at Grace, and they'll say, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about divorcing my spouse. I, I want to know, should I divorce my spouse? And typically, a pastor is going to say, well, do you have biblical grounds? Has your spouse committed adultery? No, my spouse hasn't committed adultery. No, you should not divorce your spouse. There's a rule in place there. Easy. We're just applying what God has already told us in this story. Same, another person comes in, same day. And they say, wow, I'm, think, I'm trying to figure out whether I should divorce my spouse. Well, why do you want to divorce your spouse? Well, my spouse committed adultery. They're, they're sorry, they're repentant, but I don't know if I could ever trust my spouse again. They had a, an affair that went on for some time. They've committed adultery. Okay, now you need wisdom. Why? Because God says you can divorce your spouse, but God's not saying that you must divorce your spouse. So now all of a sudden you've got to figure that out. You have to apply, apply wisdom to the situation. Just because divorce is allowable doesn't mean it's the best decision for you to make. You need wisdom. We see this in Scripture the same way. You know how people have these endless debates with people, right? And and so scripture speaks to this. Should you debate with an unwise, a foolish person or not? 
Should you engage in a debate with a foolish person or not? Well, actually, Scripture answers this. Are you ready? Proverbs 24, 26. This was written by Solomon. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Here's what he says. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Okay, don't do that. Except for the next verse says this. Answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. Okay, whoa. So, so what are you saying here, God? Don't answer a fool. It's not worth it. And answer a fool so you can help him. Okay, well, which one? Wisdom. Wisdom. To figure out which verse applies to which person in what circumstance. But God gives Solomon wisdom, and, and then maybe the most famous story about his wisdom is in 1 Kings chapter 3. Are you ready to hear it? Because I'm going to read. All right, 1 Kings 3, beginning at verse 16. Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child when she was in the house. And it happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it, and so she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her, and laid her dead son in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, for the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. And thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son who is living and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. And the king says, get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman, whose child was the living one, spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. And then the king said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And when all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Really brilliant, right? Here's this impossible case. One person's word against another person's word, absolutely zero corroborating evidence. Nobody else is there. They're careful to point out for us. And then Solomon makes this brilliant move, stating that he's going to divide the child, and, and this move reveals the mother's heart. Tragic accident, two women, he said, you know, debating, one's lying, one's not. You don't know which one. 
And Solomon comes up with a way to reveal the true mother's heart. And the people are just like, whoa, nice move. Really, it's beyond brilliant if you think about it even deeper. What if that woman wasn't the mother? What if it was the other woman's? What if Solomon got it wrong? Well, he still got it right. Because the woman that's saying divide him is not fit to be a mother, right? It's the one that cares about the son that has a mother's heart. And Solomon has a way of figuring that out. And this lady, because she was willing to give up her motherhood and her joy for her son, receives motherhood and joy because of the wisdom of Solomon that came from God. But just some takeaways today. You know, how do we, it's great that Solomon is wise, but we need wisdom. How do we have wisdom today? How can we live wisely? Well, here's how we do it. First of all, we ask God with fear and humility. Fear meaning respect. We ask God respecting God and having humility before him. They kind of go together. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 1 says, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, Solomon feared God. Solomon, it says, loved God. And so he comes to God with fear, with, with an awesome respect and also with humility. Remember, he says, hey, I'm but, but a child. He's 20. I don't know how to come in or go out. He's saying, I don't know anything, and now you've placed me over these people. I think a lot of us who, who have authority over people, it's the same prayer, right? And we come humbly, recognizing that, that we have a need Solomon is not only humble before God in this, he's humble before people. How many kings sitting on a throne is going to hear this case? You see what I'm saying? I mean, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people. No doubt there's court cases all the time. He can't spend all his day doing court. So what does he do? There's this unanswerable case involving two prostitutes and he agrees to see the case. Other kings would not have even done that. He's not only humble before God, he's humble before people that he would even listen to the case of these two ladies. And Rehoboam was just the opposite, right? He takes over and he won't listen to the people and their requests and he won't listen to his father Solomon's advisors. You'd think that would be some pretty good advisors. He does neither, and he loses his kingdom in the first week. So if we're seeking God, and we're seeking wisdom, the first step is that we would come to God in fear and awe, and then involved in that is humility for ourselves. So we come to him humbly. 
But then the second key, and I think we miss this all the time, you want wisdom? Come to God humbly, but also you have to come to God remembering God's purposes for your life. When you come and ask God for wisdom, you realize he's God, I'm not. God, I'm needy, I need wisdom. But wrapped up in that is we're coming to him remembering that because he's God and I'm not, he has purposes for my life that I'm obligated, that I have responsibilities to fulfill. So when we ask God for wisdom, we're keeping those. We're remembering our purposes before God as we ask, and that will channel the things that we ask for. Because we realize we have a mission. We have a purpose on this earth. And when we come and ask God for wisdom, our purpose should be wrapped into that. That's exactly what Solomon did. Hey, you're, you've given me ki- the kingdom. So God, I need your wisdom to fulfill the responsibilities that you've given me. I need your help in order to carry out what you want me to carry out. That's the way we come. That's the way we ask for wisdom. That's Solomon. Rehoboam, his son, he's more concerned with securing his reign and kind of doing his own thing and and just eking as much as he can out of the people and not getting any input, not listening to them, not realizing that his purpose was to lead these people toward God. He, he wasn't interested in any of that. And then the last is simply this, that we ask with belief in God's promises. You need wisdom Ask God and come to him humbly, remembering that God has given you a purpose on this earth and ask him with belief in his promises, trusting his promises. You know, we've been talking about Solomon. Solomon's great, and yeah, Solomon did this and did this. He's not perfect. He has some other issues. These wives kind of steer him the wrong way, and and all these things happen. But what about us? We need wisdom. Yeah, but, but God, God asked Solomon, what do you want? And he says, wisdom. And God gives it to him. What about us today? Do you realize that God is telling all of us, if any of us lack wisdom, we should come and ask God. That's his promise, and he will give it to us. Do you remember this? This is in James, right? Flip to James or, or on your device, go to James. It says this, James 1.5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Wisdom starts with fearing God. It starts with coming to him because of that fear humbly. It starts with remembering we ask while we remember that God has a purpose for our life. And then we ask Trusting him, believing in his promises, and in this case, it's believing that he will give us wisdom if we ask in faith. 
That's God's promise to us for today. Solomon wasn't perfect. David's described as a man after God's own heart. He has a whole heart for God. Solomon loves God at the beginning of his reign. He kind of gets a little sideways as years and years and years goes by, and he's kind of described as having a half heart for God. What about you? Where do you stand today? If you don't respect God, you might as well forget pursuing wisdom because that's where it starts. You cannot have wisdom. You can have knowledge, but you cannot have wisdom, not true wisdom, without God. You'll never gain it. And God not only offers us wisdom as believers, God offers us himself that he, through his spirit, would live inside of us. That as we ask for wisdom, remembering our purposes and asking in faith, that he will give us the wisdom that we need. It's not that hard, right? You need wisdom? Ask. And he gives generously. Let's stand for... That was a quick cutoff for Kevin. Sorry about that. <laughs> you can go ahead and stand. He sometimes gets going so fast, we don't know when to cut him off. You know, I tell you. We have that kind of power up here, though. All those people had to wait for at least five more minutes for him to close the service. Uh, just one thing, just as I was sitting there listening to Kevin, it's a great reminder uh, of the wisdom that God offers each one. Uh, and he does, obviously, as we saw. But it doesn't happen without his word. And so... Again, one of the things at Grace Community Church, Grace Point Church, what we're all about is just challenging each follower of Christ that they're in his word on a regular basis. Because this is where we find the wisdom that the Holy Spirit then uses in our hearts and our minds to help us to make the best decisions that come along. So just a, a challenge there and a reminder is you need to be in God's word. That's where the wisdom is found as his spirit teaches us. Um, as we go this morning, don't forget, again, if you're a member, there's a ballot out there for the, and there's a 2018 annual report that you can grab and look at. Um, veterans, gifts, uh, be sure to take those. I, ho I hope to not have any out there. So I'm sure everybody knows a veteran somewhere. So give them that card, thank them for the service, and um, invite them back to our service uh, next week. And uh, I'll be back up on the platform for those that might be wondering, like, you're supposed to be up there. I'll be up there next week. So. Um, was doing some things this week around the church, trying to get some things taken care of. Um, so I thought, well, I got the out, so I'll let Kevin preach this this week. So next week will be, I think, I think we're uh, going to be talking about Isaiah, if I remember right. So working our way to Jesus Christ at the holiday season. So it'll be a great, good time. Let me go ahead and pray and release you to the snow that I can see all the way out there, and it's actually starting to pile up. So I'll pray quickly. Lord, I want to thank you again for this morning. And we thank you for um, what you've given us just in, in this uh, church situation where uh, we can have Pastor Kevin and up here and, and teaching us as well and, and then being able to switch up and me being up here. And thank you for Caleb and um, Aubrey and, and Lonnie coming up and then our own people, uh, Bethany and Tristan and Alan being up here playing and that, that um, combination. Lord, we just thank you for allowing us to have that. Lord, we thank you for each person that's here this morning, and um, 
the opportunity to worship you together. Lord, I pray that you would bless each one as they go, that as they go back into um, real life, as it were, that they would remember um, your word this morning and, and that they would seek you for wisdom, that they would seek you for strength and, and all that they need to get through this week, that they would represent you well uh, as they're out in, at work and in neighborhoods and school and, and wherever they might be. Lord, as, they, as we head home, I pray for safety for each one as the roads, I'm sure, are slick. Um, and Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for all you've given us in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great Thanksgiving.